Hey, this is Laura. And Steven. And this is our podcast, Midday Musings, where we take our lunch break to talk about the things that are on our mind. Today, we're talking about the dangers of jousting and how it impacted the Tudor era of English history. Strap in, guys. We're talking kings. We're talking queens. We're talking concussive head injuries. Let's get into it. Hey, Steven. Hi, Laura. What's going on? You know what? Not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. Although it is a really, really pretty winter day. Like, it is sunny as all get out. The sky is blue. Dude, yeah. Um, the temperature is above 40, which we love. We love an above 40 degree temperature. How are things with you? You know what? I walked outside and I love that I can see the sun. You know, I don't mind the winter months, but I do like a little bit of sun, a little bit of warmth when you walk outside. And yeah, it's just nice. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind winter either. I, I can thrive in the gray, but it always does genuinely surprise me how much energy the sun gives me. Yeah. I'm like, huh, I have so much energy today. I wonder why that is. Oh, yes. The sun looks it, outside. It absolutely makes a difference. It really makes a difference. And going from our experience yesterday where it was both cold, not sunny, and there was just a really strong smell of sewage outside. One of our one of our neighbors has been having some sewage stuff, and we're like, "Do we have an issue?" I don't think we do, but it was cold. It was not sunny, and there was just a strong smell of sewage outside. And going from that to no sewage smell, very sunny, very warm. It's like a whole different day today. It feels very different. Yeah, it's a whole new life. It's a whole new world. Shining. A whole new. Yeah, shining, shimmering, shimmering splendid. splendid. Exactly. Wonderful. <laughs> Tell me, princess. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a princess. And neither are you, because you don't want to be a princess. No, I do not want to be bartered for land and goods and alliances. <laughs> you know, I don't that's think that's BS. I don't think that's what women of today are thinking when they say they want to be a princess. I really don't think that's what they are thinking. Well, I would make the important note that most women today don't know anything about history, and that is the reason they would ever want to be a princess. Oh, snap. Okay. And this isn't women. Right. This is uh, men and those identifying as non-binary or male or female. Nobody knows enough about history to understand why the designation princess is insulting at best. Well, it's kind of like the designation knight. You know, we talk about knights and chivalry and how, you know, men that we have this fascination with knights. Maybe not, I want to be a knight, but just the idea of, of knights. But really, they were thugs. They were hired security for the le for land. Yeah, they the were. The gentry. I mean, it's, it's a lot like um, rich boys today. They were high born, or rather they had money and the favor of the king, at least somewhere in their lineage. But yeah, in practice, knights were just a bunch of boys with armor swinging swords and stuff. Yeah. And it's actually funny. Jousting comes from the spontaneous skirmishes that knights would just have. Knights in like the 1100s would be letting off steam and like fighting each other. And there were a lot of injuries, so much so that it was a problem for the kingdom. First, what was attempted in England was a prohibition on these little games where you come at each other with swords. Mm -hmm. That didn't work out. People really, really liked swinging swords at each other. And people hate when you tell them, I can't do this thing. They do. And back then you had even less capacity to enforce your laws than you do now. So finally, in about the 1300s, they're like, fine, we'll set up a system and so here's what we're going to do. There's going to be horses. There are going to be like lances with tips on them. So nobody dies. And they try really hard to limit the 
death of, you know, a military force, knights, slash security force. Basically, they were trying to stop the old-fashioned police from killing each other. And that is the origin of jousting. Yeah, and I've always found that to be a really interesting story because we think of jousting today, at least I do, as a very dangerous sport. It is. very, very dangerous sport, but that... Was less dangerous. That is the compromise. That's people of the day going, y'all are just killing each other in the streets with swords. That's not cool. Let's just move it to something safe, something kosher like jousting. That's a lot safer than just stabbing your opponent in the eyeball. Yes. Yeah. And getting a big old wound in your leg or arm that over time goes gangrenous and it kills you. And the danger of jousting is historically consequential. Like Henry VIII suffered a jousting injury so severe during his reign when about a year and a half into him being married to Anne Boleyn that it changed his personality and also made him essentially lame for life. If you know a little about Henry VIII, you know that he married like six women. If you know a little more about Henry VIII, you know that he had sort of a tumor slash weeping wound on his leg for like decades that caused him a great deal of pain that made it so he couldn't perform athletics. And that's how he got so rotund Mm because he was eating a bunch and not exercising and it was getting worse and worse. But it significantly changed the way that he operated as a king after that. So first of all, he did not chop off anyone's head before this jousting accident, which people do, or rather historians do believe, resulted in a concussive injury not dissimilar to what happens to football players today. Oh, Um, yeah, okay. And not only did he like start chopping off his wife's heads, he started killing citizens too in sort of a reformation wars kind of way because he was like ah oh, we're no longer part of the catholic church we have the church of england i guess we're protestant but mostly what's important is that i'm the head of the church and i'm gonna kill a bunch of people over this issue so anyway the point is jousting while less violent than just going at your friend with a sword can still cause a lot of deaths yeah. down the line especially if a king gets injured jousting So what I think I'm hearing is Henry VIII, who is notorious for both having many, many wives, upending the way the Catholic Church functions, and also just killing many, many wives and citizens, probably maybe wouldn't have done that if he hadn't had a jousting accident, which made him get really, really big and also make him not be able to exercise. And to me, that makes a ton of sense because... I always incorporate exercise into mm-hmm. my weekly routine. I don't do it every single day because I'm, I'm really busy. I'd love to do it seven seven to eight times a week. But I know when I do it less, I'm a little grouchier. I know when I haven't done it for weeks, I can barely function. I just feel off. I feel jittery. I feel weird. I make. I start saying weird things and making weirdly impulsive decisions. Mm-hmm. And if I was both very powerful and started gaining a ton of weight very quickly... I think I would just be really unhappy and I see how that could lead someone to just be terrible, really, really, really terrible if you were just like, if you were so powerful, but so physically weak and ill all the time, people aren't meant to live with that sort of discordant contrast. Like that's a lot. No, no, it's true. Henry VIII at the beginning of his reign was first of all considered amazing. Like he was smart, he was hot, he was athletic. Everyone was like, guys, Our king, super duper cool. But Mm. then uh, someone who is habitually athletic is no longer allowed to athlete. 
Maybe oh. he starts killing people. Maybe the people closest to him. Oh, and that's the other thing. Like, it wasn't just his wives. It was also a lot of people in the court. People don't talk about this, and I don't think even the modern, particularly American audience, doesn't know how bleak the Tudor monarchies were. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give you a very short review of the Tudor era in England. So Henry VII is the first Tudor king. He's the guy who comes out on top after the War of the Roses. Everybody likes him. He does a good job. Amazing. Henry VIII comes in, and he's great for about 20 years. Everyone's like, I love how this is going. But then he gets into Anne Boleyn and starts distancing himself from the Catholic Church. And everyone's like, hey there, buddy. What are you doing? What, Maybe what you back you up a little bit. What, what, what? <laughs> and he continues to be the king for another couple of decades, growing increasingly murderous towards everyone, like wives, friends, citizens alike. And then Mary Tudor comes in, Bloody Mary. I, I assume that people have heard the term Bloody Mary. Oh, totally. Bloody Mary is Henry VIII's first daughter, very, very Catholic, and she does an about face from Henry VIII, who was like, we're Church of England now. She goes on a rampage where she starts burning Protestants to re-Catholicize England. Holy that cow. I know, right? What? Like, thousands of people. She dies of cancer. At first, she thought she was pregnant because it was a tumor in her stomach, but it ended up being a hysterical pregnancy and actually a tumor. So she only has five years on the throne. Her sister, Elizabeth, comes in. Queen Elizabeth, we remember as a very, very good monarch. We're like, oh my God, Queen Elizabeth, great. Sure, Incredible. Yeah. But, but, but in fact, within the English memory, she's considered quite an autocratic ruler. Really? Yeah. And one of the primary reasons that Shakespeare is so well-remembered is because he was a propagandist for Elizabeth. Shut up, really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. His history plays are very pro-Tudor, very much favoring the queen. And that's why she would go to his shows. That's why he was so, so popular in this era. He was a tool of the autocracy of Queen Elizabeth, who had the most advanced spy network Europe had ever seen. So while we remember her as like a girl boss who beat the Spanish Armada, absolutely true. She was also like classique dictator. Huh. But she just got a rebrand. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare helped rebrand her both in her time and in our memory today of how her history proceeds. Yeah, if you think about it for even a second, you know that the whole Virgin Queen PR thing is not dissimilar to like the North Korean dictator's PR campaign where oh, yeah. he's the best of everything. Where glorious leader is great at basketball. He's the best. In fact, he beat the U.S. basketball team himself. Exactly. Anyway, it just it's an interesting thing to remember that how we look backward on history is not how history was experienced. And one thing that Queen Elizabeth did do that was very, very good and probably why the English are big fans currently is she stopped killing people over religion. That's a good thing. Yeah, she was like, okay, yeah. we're doing this new thing. It's called the Via Medea. It's the middle way and you can do whatever you want. We're going to have the Church of England that's going to run our stuff, but I'm not going to kill you Catholics. Just chill. Everybody just chill. Just relax. <laughs> Which was great after 25 years of a bunch of people dying over religion. Ooh, yeah. But after she left, there was still an incredible instability. And I, I totally ignored like the short period of time that Henry's son was alive and technically king, but he was a child. So like, ignore it. And after Elizabeth leaves the throne, 
it's this period of profound instability in in England. And we don't really talk about how unstable England was for like 250 years. Like it was War of the Roses, Tudors, the Commonwealth, which was that period of time where they had a Protestant autocrat, Cromwell. Mm. And after that, the Glorious Revolution happens where the English write some letters to an existing monarchy and they're like, hey, could you come and be like the monarch? Because stuff is getting really strange. Could, could you please help us? Because yeah, yeah, this like, is not relaxed. Our, our Protestant overlord was like, hey guys, there's no theater or dancing or anything anymore. And for some reason, he started thinking of himself as a king. Anyway, he's dead now. Could you come on in and fill the power vacuum? Because it has been hard times mm. in England for a couple hundred years regarding succession governmental stability, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. So just to recap. Please walk, do. <laughs> walking through what we've talked about so far, you've got King Henry VIII, jousting accident, had a bunch of wives, murdered a bunch of wives, divorced himself from the Catholic Church, made the Protestant Church, killed a bunch of people over it. Uh-huh. His daughter, Mary, known as, in Bloody respect, Mary. as Bloody Mary, reversed it, did a, Dad, I hate you. You don't control me. I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what you're doing and Mm -hmm. kill all of the Protestants, which Henry had just created for five years, then dies because of a tumor. Then you have her sister, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, who says, everyone just freaking relax. Nobody Mm -hmm. kill anyone. We're going to have the Via Medea. We're going to just do the middle road and like everyone be chill. And then after that, you have a a series of, sounds like conflicts, War of the Roses, a bunch of different conflicts. War of the Roses is before the Tudors. Oh, Um, I see, I see. The War of the Roses is what put the the Tudors in power. Mm. After Elizabeth, how much time has passed? Where are we ending up at? This is what, 200 years of history? Uh, Actually, that is probably like 80 years of history. 80 years of history. Let's say 100 for good measure. And she was succeeded by James of Scotland. Mm. So the King James Bible James, who's really obsessed with witches. And then he had a bunch of witch hunts. Yeah. 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 So like you see how unstable England is. Even Elizabeth, who was the virgin queen lauded as just a really good gal. She was apparently an autocrat and a dictator who just got good press from William Shakespeare. She had a very successful propaganda campaign and was very good at holding power because she had this advanced network of spies and was very intelligent. And maybe the reason that people are like, yay, Elizabeth, is because it was this period of stability after so much chaos and before so much chaos. Right. I mean, how else could you control a a country where they are divided over religion? The mm. Catholics are killing the Protestants. The Protestants are killing the Catholics. Everyone hates everyone. At that point, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of environment where you can just walk in and go, you know what? Let's everyone just relax. No, you have to. You would have to come in with a very strict iron fist and go, everyone relax or I will or I will kill you. Mm -hmm. just for not abiding by the rules of not killing people. Yeah, yeah. You guys need to follow my very Mm -hmm. reasonable rules. Yeah, or else. My very reasonable rules, or else. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's amazing to me to think England, so unstable for 80 years, and I'm sure it had other periods of instability. And this is- Oh, dude, it was bad news really up until the 1800s. And this is the country that colonized dozens of other countries and yet could barely keep itself together. Like that's- There's something poetic about a country that is falling apart on the inside, but still manages to like conquer a bunch of other countries. I'm not saying it's good or anything. Well, by that time, it's interesting. I love the way you see it. And I'm going to offer an additional perspective, which is it was like chaos until the 1800s. And then like the moment they got their stuff a little bit together, everything's kind of stabilized. You get the Industrial Revolution, which stimulates a lot of 
a lot of manufacture oh, in oh. England. It's the Georgian era, which is sort of cycling out, cycling out. And then you get Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria is great because she has a ton of children, so succession mm -hmm. isn't a problem. And she stays alive for like 65 years as queen. So you're like, stability, amazing. And this is the moment that England conquers the entire globe. Oh, interesting. So it was after the period of instability, mm -hmm. then Victoria has a bunch of kids, it's fairly stable, and then now England starts conquering the globe. Oh, yeah, I see, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. It does, right? But there is something beautiful, I, I think, to your, your point, that everything was like shaking and shaking and shaking until a little bit of stability, and they immediately become extremely powerful. Yeah, there's something about that. I mean, I think about the way technology... It's like they were training with weights. <laughs> right? I think about the way that technology advances and it's like, it takes forever for like the telephone to come out. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we just have advance after advance after advance after advance. And all of a sudden it's like we're 500 years in the future and it's only been 100, maybe less than 100 and now we can communicate with other people instantaneously. We know when people have seen what we've we posted, we can communicate to the entire world with the touch of a button mm -hmm. and just be plugged into everything all at once. Even though maybe a hundred years ago or less, we just had the telephone and a hundred years before that you could send someone a letter and it would get to them in a month, two weeks, but now instantaneous communication. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I think about the advance of the British empire, the British people, the way I think about the events of technology, like it was just kind of Everything was falling apart. No one knew what was happening. And then all of a sudden, one moment of stability, one moment of advancement within their community. And now they're everywhere. <laughs> they're just all over the world. Yeah, human human beings only need to be given half a chance. Yeah. And then they will they will accomplish very great things. They just need a couple of decades of stability and they can move mountains. Yeah. I know some about British history because I live with you and it's like living with a, a living encyclopedia. It's like you're a historian in residence. Uh, yeah, a dilettante historian, but yes. Yeah, yeah, but still like you you know probably more than the average person and every time we talk about history I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay." Like little more bits and pieces kind of start coming together. Right? That was the revelation I had when I was like a freshman in college taking the world history classes that you know you have to take totally. for GE. And I remember sitting in my class and just listening to this guy, to my professor talk, and my knowledge of history, like I've been working on a knowledge of history since I was in grade school, but he was piecing together moments in history that I knew, and I started to think of history as this big long ribbon that never ended, huh. everything leading to everything else. And I was like, oh my gosh. It was like my big brain moment. My like synapses exploded and I was like, I understand everything. There is no, there is no disconnected moment in all of, of time. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And that's the origin of my obsession with history because A, there is no quiet time in history, mm -hmm. which comforts me in moments of political instability, you know, being alive in the United States in the 2020s. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, like instability is one of the things that, dogs human life because we're a little bit unstable like we're, we're <laughs> yeah. moody and we're also powerful and we we like to make our mark on the world and that all together leads to conflict you know it, it kind of makes me feel a little better because you studied european studies in college i studied mm -hmm. business and i assumed wrongfully so that your knowledge and interest of history started 
in college or maybe no. in high school, but it sounds like, right? It sounds like it's been a lifelong passion of yours. And I know that I do not know business as well as you know history. And I just, I was like, how did she learn so much in four years? That's insane. But no, you've been learning this for the last whole life. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've thrown, makes you feel a lot I've better. thrown like yeah. 35 years. Of, well, 30 years at least at this because I had the History Channel and I loved the History Channel mm -hmm. and I went to museums so regularly like that was the thing that my family well me and my mom did so I I've just been like mainlining history I don't know I love it it fascinates me and it reminds me of how precarious everything is, yeah. but how you can still manage in precarity. Like you can, you can surf the waves of human history because the waves are always going to be there. It's going to be choppy. It's going to be conflict. Mm -hmm. And two worlds are always forming themselves at once. One that is idealistic, one that's cynical and they fight. And the winners and losers in this battle, they never really give up the fight. They just mm. rearm for the next generation's battle. It never ends. History is endless. Only the dead have seen the end of war. Yeah. And that that's magical to me. Like, it's not positive or comforting, but it is magical. History is a pendulum. It swings back and forth, back and forth. The, the balance of power swings back and forth. The and balance of power is always being yeah. fought for. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, It doesn't necessarily have to swing back and forth, mm. but the two sides are always clawing for power. And so you have to, you're usually who wins is determined by who is best supplied. Yeah. Resources matter way more than people realize. It's not who's the best at army, who's the best at war. It's the one who has the most stuff at the end of the day. The most so best times. stuff. The yeah. most best stuff. I love talking about this history stuff. I love learning a little bit more each time. And I'm just going to plug this out there. Folks, if anyone needs a dilettante historian with an approximate knowledge of many history things, Laura is a fantastic contender for that. You know, I'm sure she'd love to join you on your podcast. Yeah, I can have an exact knowledge of things if you give me some warning. <laughs> yeah, you got that eidetic memory. It's really helpful. Yeah, I don't prepare for any of these conversations. This is just what is in my brain right now. Oh, yeah, neither do I, but I think people can tell that, <laughs> <laughs> that I don't. <laughs> Anyway, folks, thank you so much for taking the time chatting with us. If you liked hearing about King Henry VIII and... And the Tudors in general. Tudors in general and British history. Let us know. If you want to hear more of it, let us know. If you hate British history, you want to hear something else, some other type of history or non-history, that's fine. Yeah. We can talk about whatever. That's what we're here to do. We're here to yeah. talk and chill and, and vibe. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. Yes, and please. Yeah. Please, thank you so much. Yeah. All have right. a great day. Have a great day. And we will catch you on the next one. This has been Steven. And Laura. Thanks for tuning in to Midday Musings, the podcast where we talk about all the things on our mind. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and jump into the conversation in our polls and Q&As. We would love to hear from you. Catch you next lunch break. <laughs>